error chains, possibly the most dangerous element of ship operations in 2018. Error chains, one, lots of little, little mistakes adding up like the chain of an anchor. Each mistake is a link in a chain. Remove one link and the chain falls apart. Except what I'm saying that error chains are the most dangerous element in ship operations today. I'm not talking about incident management. I'm talking about the actual error chain. The whole model of error chains is horrible. It stinks. It's old, it's antiquated, and it is dangerous. More importantly, it blames the ship's crew. Now, this seems crazy, right? We all think that error chains divides out the responsibilities for an incident among numerous parties. But the problem with something as simple as an error chain is that it's easily flipped around because it is too simple. Now, it's a good learning device because of that simplicity, but it's dangerous to use in incident investigations, high-level stuff, because that simplicity can be flipped around from blaming everyone to blaming one person, the master of the vessel. And I know that seems unbelievable, but I want to explain how removing the error chain from thinking reduced deadly incidents from 25% down to less than 1% in the U.S. Navy. Now, to do this, we have to go back in time, back in time to the early 50s, around 1955, and look at the most dangerous profession at the time. Well, during any war, the Cold War, Korea, Vietnam, the most dangerous profession is usually the military. But there are, there are different levels of danger in the military. And at the time, in the mid-50s, the most dangerous part of the military thing you could opt out, you could do, would be a test pilot. We had just invented jet propulsion. Jets first came on the scene at the very end of World War II. And there was a, a slow slowing down of technological process in the late 40s as we unwound from war. And then the Soviet, the Cold War started and we got to Korea and we realized our planes are not as maneuverable as the MiGs. We, we still shut them down, but we needed to start pushing technology, so we started pushing at an incredible rate, and the result was the death of pilots, test pilots in particular. Now, there's something more dangerous than being a test pilot. 
But when we look at candidates for this more dangerous position, we choose test pilots. Like astronaut Scott Kelly, a fellow alumni of SUNY Maritime College. He was a Navy test pilot. But he wasn't a test pilot in the early 50s where one out of four test pilots were dying in massive explosions. And then we took the cream of the crop, the best test pilots, and we decided to strap a huge rocket to their rear end and send them up to space in the Mercury space program. See, the Russians launched Sputnik, and when Russians launched Sputnik, the first satellite beeping over the United States, the waves of terror rippled through the free world. People like John Kennedy demanded that we beat the Russians in space, but they were already ahead of us. They launched a successful satellite. We hadn't. So we start building these rockets at an enormous rate, and the Soviets were very secret. We took the opposite approach. The U.S. government said, we're going to televise these. We're going to show everyone exactly what we're doing. So before we launched an astronaut into space, we started the Mercury program. We started launching these rockets, first with equipment, then with chimpanzees. And we launched these rockets one after another after another on primetime television, beamed out across the country. And people were watching these. Almost every single rocket exploded. Not just a small explosion, but a huge firework explosion. And every American, every, every per lover of democracy in the free world was saying, we can't put a man on this rocket. It's too dangerous. All our rockets explode. They blow up. And then we announced the Mercury astronauts. All these men, these brave men were test pilots. The bravest. The bravest under pressure. These guys could operate a pressure. But these men went up. And when Neil... When uh, Shepard, Alan Shepard, launched in the first rocket, he came back to huge ticker tape breeze. He was a national hero, instant celebrity. If you read Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff, the book about these incredible men, as they went down the ticker tape parade in New York and got awards of valor in Washington and toured the country and one thing happened to every man that they met. One incredible thing, and we're talking burly men. And for Alan Shepard, the first time he realizes this is when he's going into New York City and he meets the policeman. He's tough, the best, the toughest men in New York City who are going to protect him. These motorcycle cops are going to go with his motorcade and as he meets them, all these tough, strong New York City cops are in tears. They're crying because they can't understand how, how a man can climb up 
on a rocket. Our rocket. Our rockets always explode. How can he climb on the top of the rocket and be shot all the way up to space, the most unforgiving, coldest? Uh, Space is a place that makes Antarctica look habitable. And then ride this rocket down through the atmosphere with the heat shell glowing and sparks and explosions and splash into the ocean. That's what sent these men crying. How could... That's what sent the nation crying. And if you didn't live back then, you can't understand the amount of emotion tied to this. But Alan Shepard was a Navy test pilot. And Tom Wolfe, in his amazing book, The Right Stuff, and Tom Wolfe died recently, but he's a national hero for writing his books, especially this one, explains the mindset. What was it? And this is the whole premise of the book. Tom Wolfe's trying to figure out how do these men do it? How do they face this extreme danger time after time? Why don't they quit? And you'll have to read the book, but I am going to, ex- I'm going to read off the part in this book that explains this utter bravery. But I got to take you to Patuxic River, Maryland, Pax River, the home of the U.S. Navy test pilot squadron. Here we go. The very words, death, danger, Bravery, fear were not to be uttered except in the occasional specific instance or for ironic effect. Nevertheless, the subject could be adumbrated in code or by example. Hence the endless evenings of pilots huddled together talking about flying. On these long and drunken evenings, the bane of their family life. Certain theorems would be propounded and demonstrated and all by code and example. One theorem was... There are no accidents and no fatal flaws in the machines. There are only pilots with the wrong stuff, i.e. blind fate can't kill me. I'm too good. When Bud Jennings crashed and burned in the swamps of Jacksonville, the other pilots in Pete Conrad's squadron said, how could he have been so stupid? It turned out that Jennings had gone up in the SNG aircraft with his cockpit canopy opened in a way that was expressly forbidden in the manual and carbon monoxide had been sucked in from the exhaust and he passed out and crashed. All agreed that Bud Jennings was a good guy and a good pilot, but his epitaph and his ziggurat was, how could he have been so stupid? This seemed shocking at first, but by the time Conrad had reached the end of that bad string of Pax River, He was capable of his own corollary to the theorem, viz. No single factor ever killed a pilot. There was always a chain of mistakes, an error chain. But what about Ted Whelan, who fell like a rock from 8,100 feet when his parachute failed? 
While the parachute was merely part of the chain, first someone could have caught the structural defect that resulted in the hydraulic leak that triggered the emergency. Second, Whalen did not check out his seat parachute rig, and the drone failed to separate the main parachute from the seat. But even after those two mistakes, Whelan had 50 or 20 seconds as he fell to disengage himself from the seat and open the parachute manually. Why just stare at the scenery coming up to smack you in the face? And everyone nodded. He failed, but I wouldn't have. Once the theorem of the error chain and the corollary that a good pilot could break that chain. We're understood the Navy statistics about one in every four aviators dying meant nothing. These figures are averages and averages applied to those with the right stuff. So that's the excerpt, guys. The error chain is the reason why Alan Shepard strapped himself on that rocket. He believed that he had an amazing team, a good team that checked all this, and he personally checked and went through procedures and testing and every checklist a thousand times before launch, and no matter what happened, whether it be bad luck, mechanical failure, he was good enough. Personally, he himself, the one man in that rocket, was good enough, had the right stuff to fix the problem. The error chain is what was his justification. The question all those burly, strong policemen of New York City, men fought the criminals in the Bronx, and before that were World War II war heroes, and D-Day survivors, the thing that made them cry is this unknown, what made this man do it? And the answer is rationalization via the error chain, guys. That's what this story about test pilots and the Navy has to do with maritime operations. Our continued use of the error chain in BRM classes, teaching it at the maritime academies, writing about it in articles, this is preventing us from fixing the big problems. And here's why. We're going to use the El Faro as an example because I've read every single report about the El Faro. And the Coast Guard report mentions the error chain several times. And every damn conference I go to that talks about the El Faro mention this error chain, this flawed, overly simple system. We love it because it's simple. It makes sense. We don't have to think too hard. But that's what makes it dangerous. As Einstein said, every theorem should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. The error chain is too simple, too explain what really happens in a maritime incident. And it's been proven false by researchers for decades now, yet we in the maritime world continue to hold on to it. The Swiss cheese model is almost as simple and a lot better, but even that one's flawed, guys. 
So we, we take the El Faro and we look at the error chain. And it goes all the way back to the building of the ship at Sun Shipyards. And we say, man, these scuttles were uh, problematic. They were put in the wrong place. And if they had put them here and put them there and did this and, uh, and, and made these engineering changes, this incident wouldn't have happened. The error chain would have fallen apart. Then we look at the forecasting, we see the forecasting, uh, they had this computer system and they had the weather facts and they didn't work out of each other. If the weather software had been correct, the system would, the air chain would have fallen apart. And the maintenance and the ABS inspectors, if they had caught these mistakes, the air chain would have fell apart. And the captain, if the captain had just called someone ashore and asked, the error chain would have fallen apart. And if the second mate had, had asked the captain, hey, captain, stood up to him and said, we don't think this is safe. The error chain would have fallen apart. And the second mate was ashore monitoring the storm. If he had called the sat phone and talked to the captain, the error chain would have fallen apart. And the chief engineer, if he had enough lube oil, extra lube oil in the system, the error chain would have fallen apart. And if the cargo hadn't broken apart and hit possibly a fire main, the air chain would have fallen apart. And even after that, if the EPIRB hadn't failed, maybe the rescuers could have got out there early enough and saved these guys and the lifeboats are found, at least some of them, and the air chain would have fallen apart. But this is false, guys. This is BS. This is the BS story we continue to tell ourselves, and I'm frankly sick of writing about it for 10 years Running GCAM, I'm sick of every time I write an incident, there are comments in Facebook talking about this flawed error chain. Because the fact of the matter with the El Faro is this ship should have been scrapped years before. The captain should not have sailed into a hurricane. He had psychological issues that... And, and management issues and leadership issues that prevented him from seeing truth. And the management did not care. He couldn't even get a hold of the designated person ashore. So no, you remove one of those things. And the air chain doesn't fall apart. Maybe, maybe the El Faro would have made it through that storm, that particular incident. But if Tote continued to sail her for years and didn't fix these other problems, and I'm not talking the minor problems, like the updates on the weather facts. I'm talking about the leadership and the management problems of the vessel. If that captain did not learn how to work as a team and accept input from others continued to sail a rust bucket that needed to be scrapped under regulations that were false with a company that had a hands-off management, if he had gotten fixed something in that error chain, he would have prevented that incident, but he would not have prevented the next incident and the next and the next. And it may not have been hurricane-related been a structural problem or, or a collision at sea. The fact is, bad things happen to bad ships that are run badly. That's what causes the incident. Don't run rust bucket ships. Don't 
follow, regulations that are flawed. Don't put leaders who don't work as a team in charge of these ships. These are the lessons we have to learn, and these lessons are not taught in the chain of events. And more importantly, just like Peter Conrad did when he strapped himself to the top of this massive rocket in the Gemini program. And as he did before that, as he got into the aircraft in Pax River, he used the Eric chain to justify why he could defeat it. He just has to, he just has to find the one little flaw and solve it, and he'll be fine. And that's what the Eric chain's doing. That's why investigators, that's the criminalization of mariners here, guys. That's why Coast Guards around the world are arresting captains at an increasing rate because they're saying, they're saying all these problems. Yeah, it was a shipyard problem, the ABS problem. It was the weather problem. But if we had a captain with the right stuff, if that captain had the right stuff, this incident would have happened because all he had to do was fix one little problem and it would have went away. So he's the fault. This captain doesn't have the right stuff. This captain has the wrong stuff. We need to arrest him. We need to blame him. Not throw the CEOs and the executives in jail who allowed this to happen, who didn't pay for the safety and the thing. It's the fault of the captain with the wrong stuff. And just as Tom Wolf said in the beginning of this, these men never talked about words like hero and danger and death. Those were words that were quietly going in the back of their mind, these test pilots, but it was never uttered. Because to utter them, to talk about this, this overly simple error chain, if you talked about it, you couldn't fool yourself into believing it because it's so simple and so flawed. They couldn't talk about it. And that's what's happening today. We don't talk about in these incidents the fault of the captain we don't say he had the wrong stuff but that's what the incident reports are implying so guys please do me a favor if you do one thing if you see the word error chain in an incident report if you see an article with the words error chain if you see a comment with the word error chain please tell whoever said that 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 theory is bullshit and have them listen to this podcast and if they won't listen to this podcast, have them call me and I'll explain to them why error chain is flawed. We got to stop teaching this at BRM and at Maritime Academies and writing in incident reports. Stop using the error chain.